Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. How's everybody today? We good? Did the turkey week mess up your smile? No, your hands still work. Everybody, let me see your hands. Hands are good. Smiles are good. How many of you ate too much? Let's be honest. This is church. Don't lie in church. You ate too much. It's okay. We prayed for you. How many of you have already started decorating for Christmas? This is really what I wanted to know today. Okay, now for the real, real Christmas fans in the room. How many of you had a tree up before the turkey came out of the oven? These are the crazy people, y'all. These, these are the crazy. How many just endure Thanksgiving because Christmas is coming? That's really what you're, what, what you're after. Speaking of Christmas, we've got a great month of December planned for you here at the church, at Christmas at OSC. We're going to be talking about the early life of Jesus. I don't want you to miss it. Uh, anybody have any embarrassing people in your family tree? If you don't know anybody, you're probably the one. Um, but we're going to talk about that because Jesus did too. Um, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be fooled by the wrapping on the outside. Sometimes the things can be look one way on the outside, but not so much on the inside. We're also going to talk about things and people that can rob our joy, and then ultimately how God takes us from dilemma to deliverance. I'm really excited about OSC uh, Christmas at OSC, but that's next week. And here's my challenge for this week's message. It's not yet Christmas. It's too late to do a Thanksgiving message, and it's too early to talk about the new year. So I thought today we would talk about how to finish this year strong. How do we, how do we finish this year strong? Our, our American culture has turned this time of year. It should be the most wonderful time of the year, right? But our American culture has taken this from a season of generosity to a season of consumerism, has it not? Yeah. Or from a season of gift giving to a season of debt getting. From a season of reconciliation to a season of offense. From a season of peace and joy to a season of chaos and stress. To quote Dave Ramsey, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that we don't really like. And if we're not careful, here's my concern for us. If we're not careful, we're going to end this year with drained budgets, strained relationships, and unmet expectations. And if I'm honest, I don't want that for anybody in here. All right, how many of you, New Year's is the time you make New Year's resolutions? Right, you all know that's the season. Can I tell you what I think about New Year's resolutions? I believe the reason we have so many New Year's resolutions is because we ended the last year with so many regrets. Think about that for just a second. We end one year with regret, and it drives us to think that we can start the new year and make some resolutions. What if we decided just to end this year the way we hope to start next year? I think that will help us. What if I told you you could finish strong, strong in your faith, strong in your relationships, and strong in your finances, but not just strong. How about strong and at peace? Rather than end a year with loss and regret, what if we could end with gain and strength moving into 2024 on a high note 
rather than disappointment. Anybody with me today? Sound like a good idea? Reach over, buckle in. Here we go. What if I told you that scripture actually gives us a pattern for living our lives in that way? That even if you only start applying these truths in the last five weeks of this year, you'll be better off and closer to having the kind of life that you've always wanted. Scripture has a pattern for us. And I'm sure what you're thinking is, oh, I know, Pastor Don. If, I know what you're going to say. If, if we'll just follow Jesus, right? If, if we'll just read our Bibles, if, if we'll just pray, if, if we'll just live godly lives, then everything will work out fine for us. Is that really how it works? It makes you wonder, does, does godliness equal great gain? Does God, just being godly, is that enough? That's not what scripture says. First Timothy chapter six, verse six actually says this. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I love the New American Standard translation. It shows us that godliness plus contentment equals great gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. There's the formula. Godliness plus contentment is what's going to result in great gain for your life. Now, here's my question. Does that, does that mean that you can have godliness but still miss out on its rewards? Answer, absolutely you can. You and I know people who are so weak of character on the outside that whatever chaos is happening on the inside, it just comes out. You don't even have to ask them how their day is going. You can see it from a mile away. How many of you know somebody? Don't point if they're here in church today. I don't, I don't recommend that. But you know somebody, right? There's, just, there's a weakness in the external character that whatever chaos and turmoil is going on on the inside, it just comes out and we can't avoid it. But there's another group of people. These people we can't see. Outwardly, they're calm and put together, yet inside they're raging with chaos and unrest and frustration. It's like that polished shoe that's secretly rubbing a blister. It never comes out but it festers within. How many of you know somebody that's kind of like that? Uh, maybe I'm stepping on some toes here. The kind of strength that I'm talking about is neither one of those. I'm talking about the kind of strength that's an inward piece that comes out. It fully accepts what is and trusts God regardless of the situation. That kind of inward peace that comes out regardless of what's going on on the inside, that's called contentment. That's called contentment, and we're going to spend our time talking about that today. I'll show you another place in scripture where Paul talks about this. It's actually what I think is probably one of the most commonly misquoted scriptures or verses in all of the Bible. Here it is. It's Philippians 4, 13. You may have, you may have heard this before. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All things. I can bench press your car because God strengthens me. I can scale Mount Everest with no training or practice because God strengthened. I think we've used this verse a little out of context. Let me show you the context that Paul's talking about and being able to do all things through Christ. Verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be what? Content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned that the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's claim that he can do all things through Christ is actually anchored in his ability to be content in whatever season he's faced. And you and I can finish this year strong 
and at peace if we'll learn something from Paul. I love how he connects plenty and hunger, abundance and need with contentment. Did you know it's possible to finish this year strong and at peace and still not have everything that you think you need? It's okay. Paul said, listen, whether it's abundant or in need, I can still be content. Whether I have everything or think I'm lacking in things, I can have the kind of inward peace that comes out and changes things on the outside when things on the inside are a little weird. But the opposite can be true also. You can finish this year in abundance and still be inwardly full of regret if you don't have this contentment. Look at this thought from Jeremiah Burroughs. It says, Christian contentment is the pleasant internal peaceful and gracious state of mind which willingly accepts and takes joy in God's wise and fatherly decisions in all circumstances. All circumstances. Trusting in God. Paul says, I have learned to be content. He's learned to be content. He didn't just wake up with it. It had to be sought after. It had to be cultivated. It needs to be reminded in our lives you and I can learn to be content also. Now, here's, here's the caveat. You and I are going to spend the rest of our lives trying to learn how to become content in every single area of our lives. Some may never. Some may never. Entire books have been written on the subject that has spanned centuries, but for our sake today, I want us to look at the next five weeks. I want us to look at the next five weeks of this year. What would it look like for you and I to start walking in contentment? Could we finish the year strong and at peace? Let's look at contentment a little bit further. Here's the first thing I want you to know. Contentment has a material component. A material, a stuff component, things, right? This was hard when you live in the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. It's hard to be content when everything we see has the dollar sign attached to it. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 tells us this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. David said something very similar in the 23rd Psalm, verse 1. He says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You ever thought about that shepherd-sheep relationship? What's the job of a shepherd? To lead, to provide, to, to bring the sheep to a place where provision is available to them. What's the job of the sheep? To follow and receive and participate with what the other sheep are doing. It's to follow, to trust, to obey. And I think many of us struggle with contentment and inward peace because we bought into the lie that we're the shepherd of our own lives. It's our job to bring ourselves to a place where there's provision and do all of these things and to trust. And it's hard to have both, isn't it? It's hard to be content that God has provided and will provide if you think you're the one that's responsible for your provision. And I love how David wrote this. He said, it's the Lord that is my shepherd. Therefore, I will not want. Now listen, do you think David had wants in his life? Do you think he had needs, things that, that he, he desired? Answer? Absolutely. But what was he writing here? He, he also had the means to get him. He's the king. Last time I checked, none of us in here are kings or queens. David had 
all the ability to get everything he wanted and everything he thought he needed, yet he started this 23rd Psalm, arguably one of the most important Psalms of Scripture, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know what he was doing? He was reminding himself. He was saying, no, 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 God, it's you who provide for me. I'm not going to strive for that. I'm going to be content with where I'm at because you are my provider. You are my shepherd. I'm not leading myself to green pastures. You are leading me to green pastures. You're the shepherd here, God. Help me to be content in every area. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 through 9 says this. Remove far from me falsehood and lying Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I heard a wise man once said, I want to make enough money so that I don't have to worry about it. But I don't want to make so much money that I have to worry about it. Or more simply put, by modern-day lyricist and contemporary philosopher that many of you know as the notorious B.I.G., more money, more problems. <laughs> How did Jesus himself address the area, the issue of contentment? How many of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer? He talks about contentment there. You remember, let's, let's say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the next part? Stop right there. Give us this day our daily bread. Not tomorrow's bread. Today's bread. He doesn't say, help me to earn today's bread. What does he say? Give it. Provide it for me. There is something Jesus knows about his relationship with the Heavenly Father that you and I would be served well to understand is that we can trust that God's going to provide for us everything we need today. And if we don't get it today, we probably don't need it today. There's a contentment that comes, okay, I get it, Pastor Don, but what does that have to do with finishing the year strong? Let me tell you, when it comes to these material things in our lives, a lack of contentment will cause you to spend money you don't have on things you don't need. Christmas will cause us to end up spending money on money that we don't have on things that others don't need as well. You may not realize this. You may think you're the only one. 25% of Americans still have holiday debt from last year. Holiday debt. Buying gifts for other people going into debt. The average debt incurred at Christmas across the country, over $1,500 in debt just for Christmas. 37% of people expect it to take five months or more to pay off their holiday shopping. Can I tell you, nothing will rob you of your peace more than debt and the pressure that this society puts on you to put stuff underneath a tree. Well, I didn't have anything growing up, and I, I want my kids to, okay, listen, it's not that important. There needs to be an inward peace that comes out during this season, not a financial pressure that you put yourself in because you've bought some things that you couldn't afford to buy. Are y'all with me? Uh, some of you, I'm stepping on your toes, and I'm sorry. I love you. I want you to finish this year strong. Kayla and I got married almost 20 years ago in the month of May. 
When we got back from our honeymoon, I'm the budgeter in the family. I'm the one that likes to plan, and we were having this conversation. She's unpacking things from the wedding and all that, and I'm sitting down and saying, okay, well, let's get a budget put together. And I asked her this question. Hey, how much do you want to spend on Christmas this year? It's like June. She's like, I don't, I don't know. I said, well, I mean, just if, if, think about all the people, you and I, gifts we would spend, things we want to buy, people we want to honor, how much. And I think she was just trying to appease me because she threw this number out. She's like, $500, $500. I said, awesome. We've got 25 weeks until Christmas. That's just $20 a week that we could set aside, and we'll have $500 when Christmas comes around to go and buy those gifts. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy, and she did too, until we got to December And I handed her $500 in cash and said, let's go Christmas shopping. And that first January, we had zero debt from our very first Christmas. And it's been that way ever since. And as you think about remaining content and at peace in your finances, I want you to ask yourself this question. If the person that I'm giving this gift to knew that I had to go into debt in order to buy this from them, would they still want me to buy it? What's the answer to that? Of course they wouldn't. So why are you putting yourself in that situation? I want you to finish this year strong and at peace in your finances. There's great gain to be had if you can learn to be content with what you have. Nobody's checked out yet. Everybody's still in here. All right, we'll move on to the second one. Contentment has a material component, but contentment also has a relational component to it also. If the financial component to contentment is being okay with what you have, the relational component to contentment is being okay with who they are. Being okay with who. What are you talking about? Just like debt can rob you of your peace, so constrained relationships. So constrained relationships. How many of you have family, loved ones, relatives, and you're honest, Pastor John, holidays can be stressful to me. It can be stressful times for this one simple reason that nobody really likes to talk about. When I have extended time off, I have to be, I'm forced to be around people I'm really not used to being around. And if the relationship is already strained, the chances of being stuck inside with them for hours on end isn't going to help. How many of you would say, Pastor Don, I, I want to be a better parent. Whether I have young kids or older kids, I, I want to be, I want to be a, better, a better parent. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says this. It says, train up a child in the way I think is best. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Some of us think so. Train up a child in the what? The way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. The entire book of Proverbs illustrates that there are only two ways to go. The way of righteousness and the way of the wicked. That's what this verse is referring to. But a rabbi in the ninth century suggested this phrase, they, the way he should go refers to the unique way that they're bent, their personality. Train up a child in the way that they're bent to go. Let me explain it this way. Think about your children. I'll, I'll think about mine. I have a child who has an engineering mind. He's prone to contemplation. He's got a pastoral heart for others and a talent for playing musical instruments. Some of you may have a child like that. I have, I have a child who's a nurturer, a creative, always crafting and making things, loves gifts, who's prone to to collect and keep junk because she's sentimental at heart. I have a child, maybe you do too, who is a social butterfly. 
He's never met a stranger. He's a natural leader, but has a tendency to forget things and responsibilities in favor of the next new and fun thing that pops up. Anybody have a child like that? Perhaps you have one like me who's sensitive and empathetic, a strong sense of justice, and loves to laugh and relate to others with humor. Now, here's my question for you as you think about your children. Are you inwardly at peace with letting your kids be themselves? Or is your relationship strained because deep down you're more comfortable when they act the way that you are rather than the way that God made them to be? Yeah. If they would just do it my way, everything would go well. And not just at my way, at my speed. Isn't that crazy how God gives you kids who are wired differently than you are? Some of your kids are grown and you're still feeling this struggle. It takes an inward peace a contentment to see others for who God has made them to be. I was having a conversation with a lady a few years back who spent some time living in her parents' house, and she said, I'm just so uncomfortable. It feels like I have to go all the way back to being a kid again, right? Nothing I do measures up. I feel like I can't make it happen, and and every time I go visit for the holidays, it's the same way. Maybe it wasn't you. Maybe they're the ones who never knew how to express the love and understanding that you needed. What if I told you that you can be confident in your relationship with Jesus even when you're not confident in your relationship with others? From him, not only can you find love and understanding for yourself, you can find love and understanding for those strained relationships as well. Because of your relationship with Jesus, You can find peace to forgive and trust that they're a work in progress too. Thinking about your strained relationships, the last five weeks of this year, I would say it this way. When I get my validation from Jesus internally, I'm free to be content with the shortcomings in my other relationships externally. Some of us, our frustration really isn't with them. It's with who? It's us. I'm a little unsettled with what's going on. And so I want everybody else to do things my way so I can control it. And if I'm unsettled this way, heaven forbid anybody else has a good day because I don't want you to have a good day if I'm having a bad day. So we're going to be miserable together. So I don't realize what I'm doing. Or maybe you live with that person. And it seems like nothing's going well for them so nothing can go well for you. Jesus says, I've got a way for you to live your life that it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside with them. You can have an inward piece of strength that comes from the inside out and can give you the grace you need to be able to deal with those relationships. Are y'all with me today? There's There's a contentment that comes. I know they're not where God wants them to be yet, but I'm not either. I'm gonna be content right where this relationship is as God continues to work on both of us. Relational contentment, after all, really just is a shift of perspective. Really just is a shift of perspective. A Jewish man in Hungary went to his rabbi, and he complained, life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in this one-room house. What can I do? The rabbi looked at him for a few minutes, thought about it, and said, I want you to go take your goat and bring him inside to live with y'all. The man was skeptical, and he said, "Um, okay, but he did it. He came back one week later, said, Rabbi, it's miserable. I, this is cr- the goat's chewing on everything, mess, makes a mess. We are absolutely beside ourselves. It didn't work. And the rabbi looked at him and says, okay, now I want you to go home and put the goat back outside. Come see me in a week. 
The man comes back after another week. Life is amazing, Rabbi. <laughs> well, what do you mean? He said, now that the goat's gone, things are perfect with just the nine of us here in this one room. It's just a shift of perspective, isn't it? I want you to finish the year strong and at peace. I want you to, to fill, finish full of gain, not full of regrets. But it's going to take a different perspective, a perspective of relational contentment. I want you to think about this for just a second. When I keep offenses close to my heart, I have to keep my relationships at arm's length. But when I keep offenses at arm's length, I can have relationships close to my heart. You're going to have an opportunity to choose in the next five weeks. I promise you somebody is going to offend you and you need to decide, do I want to keep them at arm's length or do I want to keep that offense at arm's length? Because I can't have both. I can't have both. There's a material component to contentment. There's a relational component to contentment. And then there's also contentment has an eternal component to it. Someone jokingly said, a person can live only in one of two tents, content and discontent. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 9 says it this way, it is better to be content with what the eyes can see than for one's heart always to crave more. This continual longing is futile like chasing the wind. There's a phrase in that verse in the original Hebrew that's a figure of speech that refers to the unfulfilled desires inside of our soul. Discontentment results when there's a longing inside your soul that remains empty and unfulfilled. We, we don't naturally like that longing, so we try to be our own shepherds and we try to provide for ourselves what we think will satisfy this desire for true contentment in our lives. Philip Parham tells the story of a wealthy businessman who was disturbed when he found a fisherman laying lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you fishing out there? He asked. Well, the fisherman said, because I've caught enough fish for today. And the businessman said, well, why don't you catch more fish than you need? The fisherman says, well, what would I do with them then? Well, you could earn more money, claimed the impatient businessman. And buy a better boat so you could go deeper to catch more fish. And then you could purchase nylon nets and catch even more fish and make more money. And soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. And the fisherman looked at him and said, well, then what would I do? Well, you could sit down and enjoy life, said the businessman. Well, what do you think I'm doing right now? The fisherman said as he looked calmly out to the sea. There's something on the inside not right. And so it drives us externally to try to fix it. I want to give you one single thought that I think will help you find inward peace in the last five weeks of this year. We start to find Christian contentment by going all in. By going all in. What do you mean? You inherently know without me telling you, you're supposed to be all into something to someone. You feel empty and discontent when you're not. So here's how we fix it. We, we fully give ourselves to others. We, we put them first. We vie for their approval and their recognition, right? That's why young girls go all in sexually to young boys, longing to find someone who will be committed to them. Or we fully give ourselves to our careers and to our jobs, hoping that going all in at work will bring promotion and advancement, something that will validate all that we've sacrificed so far to live the way that we're living. 
Or maybe we pour ourselves into religion. We go to church, we fast, we pray. We go all in to all the stuff externally in hopes to fill the void internally in our lives. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to think, am I doing any one of those things? Here's what we get right. You and I were made to seek that inward peace, to be content. That contentment is meant to drive us to go all in to something. But here's what we get wrong. We think those things or those people will satisfy. Can I tell you the only true way to find contentment is by going all in to Jesus Christ. All in to Jesus Christ. And you may have felt that deep longing of discontentment. I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like this, man. Something's missing. Something's not right. There's, there's got to be more. Is this all there is to life that, that I, I just go through the motions and do all the things that I've done? You may have been in church for 20 years and still feel that discontentment. I'm telling you, it's not coming to a building that fixes that in your life. It's going all in with a Savior who went all in for you. That's how you find that contentment. All throughout Ecclesiastes, there's this word Solomon uses over and over again. He talks about the description. He describes the futile efforts that we make in life, our wasted efforts. The word's vanity. Vanity. Here's, here's the word picture, the Hebrew word picture that's used when he talks about vanity. Imagine a thirsty man walking a long way to a well, lowering the bucket all the way down, and then lifting it all the way up only to find it empty. That's vanity. That's vanity. And if you try to find contentment in things in this life apart from Jesus Christ, you are a dry and thirsty person walking a long way to a well, lowering all of that strength and all of that effort day in and day out only to turn around and lift it and pull it. And if it would just come higher, if I could just get closer, it's going to be able to have everything I need and satisfy that thirst. Yet you try and try again of thinking and drinking from the same empty bucket and you don't understand what it is. I'll tell you what it is. It's discontentment. Because you and I we're made to find contentment in Jesus. Jesus said this in John 10, 10. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In other words, he said, I came to fill your empty buckets. John 4, 13 through 14. Jesus is actually having a conversation with a woman at a well. And he said this, everyone who drinks of this water, the water of their own efforts will be thirsty Again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What if we could live in a way that we didn't have to go to the water to get, thirst, to get our thirst met? We could have it bubble up from the inside that no matter what the outside looks like, I am not thirsty. I am content. I know exactly where God has me, why he has me here, and what he has me here to do. And I, it breaks my heart because I see people all the time striving if I could just get that one more deal. No, baby, you don't understand. I'm going to work late because if I could just get this one job. And that job comes and what happens? The bucket's empty. Now the relationship's strained, and you spend more time at work because you're comfortable there. 
And you get home and you're uncomfortable because you don't know those people. And your relationship is strained and you try everything you can. I'll spend more money on them. We'll, we'll do more things. We'll go more places. They don't need your money. They don't need your stuff. They don't need your presence. They need your presence in their lives. They need that still, calm assurance that says, no matter what's going on in your life, baby, I'm stable. I know what God has for me, through me, and in me right now in these moments. You know what it looks like because those are the people you call when you feel like things aren't going well for your life. Those people that you know, no matter what's going on on the inside, there is a source that springs up from inside of them that says, I have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I want to tell you, church, you can have that peace today. And not only will it change the next five weeks of this year, it'll change the next several weeks of your life. So easy to fall into the trap of thinking that the things of this world will fill that empty void in your life. And the only way to prevent that is to let your focus and your heart's desire be all in for the things of God and his kingdom. The more you're focused on God's kingdom, the less you'll be tempted by this one. You can have a godliness plus contentment in your finances and in your relationships. And that contentment will bring you the kind of life that you've always hoped for. Look at me. It's possible. It's possible. You don't have to wait for that promotion. You don't have to wait for that job. You don't wait to have, have that loved one come home or respond to you, answer their phone, or be nice to you. You don't have to finally get it for them to understand where you are. You can have that kind of peace right now, full of faith, full of hope, and not end the year with the same regrets, needing a resolution somehow to change your life. Where does that idea come from anyway? That somehow we can just wake up and decide, it's new, I'm a new person, I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, I, I struggled with my weight and my eating my whole life, but today, because it's January 1, I'm going to be a new person. Never been to the gym, but it's January, so I'm going to go get a gym membership and go to the gym. Where does that idea come from that somehow, just like that, you can be brand new? Can I tell you where it comes from? It comes from Scripture. It was God's idea. Lamentations chapter 3, 19 through 23 says this. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remembered them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new. When? Every morning. Great is your faithfulness, even when mine is not Great is his faithfulness. You can't live off of something that is unfaithful. You have to live and lean into something and someone who is faithful in your life. And I want to tell you, you don't need to wait until New Year's to find contentment in your life. You can do that today. You don't need to wait to go all in with Jesus. You can do that today. You don't even have to be perfect to follow him with all of your heart but you do need to be born again. It's not a Pastor Don word. That's not a Protestant word. That's not even a Catholic word. That, that's a Jesus word. Jesus said that. 
It's in John chapter 3. He's talking to a rich man, a very religious man. And he said this. He said, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you were born again. He tells the man, there are two kinds of birth that happens in a person's life. The first is the birth by water. We, we know that when a pregnant woman, the water breaks. It signals that there's, there's a new birth about to take place. And he says there's another birth. It's a birth of the Spirit. The Spirit does something in your life and something breaks forward that seemingly was pent up. That discontentment is met and it's full. And it's not something you bring from the outside in. It's something that God does from the inside out. It wells up inside of you and comes out for other people and yourself to be able to to enjoy. Have you had that second birth? Has the Holy Spirit awoken those things inside of you? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. We're not getting ready to leave. We're just listening. I want you to listen to two voices. I want you to listen to mine, and I want you to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Don, how do I know? How do I know if the Holy Spirit has done that in my life today? How do I know that? I'll tell you it's as simple as ABC. A is admit. You'll be able to admit, maybe for the first time, that your sin, your choices, your decisions have separated you from a righteous and a loving God. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I can admit that. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can admit that. B stands for believe. Maybe today for the first time you believe that God sent his son Jesus to live the life that you couldn't live, to pay the debt you incurred but couldn't pay to live the life you tried to live but was unable to live it apart from him. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I admit and I believe, I would tell you the only thing left is see, and that stands for confess. Confess him as Lord and Savior. The Savior part's easy when things are a mess and you're discontent in life. Somebody, please rescue me. It's the Lord part that makes all the difference. It says, God, I give you control of my life. I want you to drive. You are my shepherd. I am not the shepherd of my own life. You lead me. I will follow. If you're here today by the power of the Holy Spirit and you say, Pastor Don, I can admit, I believe, and I can confess, I will tell you the Holy Spirit has done that work. There's a new birth that has taken place in your life. And when I, I want to ask you right there where you're at, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. It's just me and you. You're saying, Pastor Don, will you, will you pray with me? It's not the prayer that saves you. God and this Holy Spirit has done that work in you already. I want to pray this prayer with you to give you the confidence and the assurance of what the Holy Spirit has done today. And if you're there and you say, Pastor Don, I've never prayed to be born again today, but something's different about my life today. I'm ready to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, the shepherd of my life I want you to do this one thing. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to come down front, but I do want you to raise your hand and look up at me. Right now, Pastor Don, will you pray with me to be born again? Thank you, I see your hand. Keep them up. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. I'm looking. Up in the balcony, I'm looking. Thank you, I see your hand. I see your hand. Both of you right there. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand, ma'am. Back row, I see your hand. Yes, sir. I see your hand. It's going to change. And you don't have to do it. God's going to do it through you. He's going to do it in you. One more time, I want to pray all, for all of those, but I don't want you to be missed. Pastor Don, I've never been born again. I know I should have raised my hand, but I didn't. 
Thank you. I see your hand one more time. Thank you. I'm glad I asked. You can put your hands down. I want you to say this prayer with me. And I want to ask all of us to pray this prayer together, indicative of the fact that nobody walks through Christianity alone. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, let's celebrate with those who were born again.